0: to God. Read together. Habakkuk one, the first four stanzas, stanza one, verse one through to through to four. If you're looking for it, maybe it's easiest just to turn to Matthew and work your way backwards a few books. You'll come across it fairly soon. The Oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted. So far, the reading of God's word. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are times when life really doesn't seem to make all that much sense. You know, the author of Psalm 77, his name was Asaph. Life didn't really make much sense to him as he was writing this psalm. Cries out to God in in sorrow. He cries out to God in trouble. Pours out his grief. Reflects on days of goodness, of days of gladness. But now he's living in a time of sadness. Habakkuk as well is in a, in a similar moment. Cries out to God for help because things don't really make sense. And perhaps you know something of Habakkuk and Asaph's cry. It's a cry of why. Why? Maybe you cry that, out to God because of something that's happened to you personally, an accident perhaps happens to someone that you love, you have a child who's sick, someone you trust hurts you deeply and you cry out, why? Maybe it's not your personal life that leads you to cry this out, but you, you look at the world and you look at the confusion in the world, you look at the brokenness in the world, you look at the war, the famine, the starvation, and you just cry out, why? I think all of this is troubling for everyone, but it's most troubling for Christians, because the Christian just doesn't cry out why. But we cry out why to God. Okay, we cry out, cry out, we cry out specifically why God. We believe in an all-loving, all-powerful God. That's that's my God, and yet there is so much that doesn't really seem to line up with God. So, we often find this, this cry of why on our lips. We turn this morning to these opening verses of, of Habakkuk's prophecy, his, his oracle. And you may wonder, what can a prophet who was writing about 2,700 years ago have for us today? Uh, the answer is a surprising amount, especially when we look at the context in which this prophecy came. Uh, Habakkuk. He is writing in a time when violence was on the rise, when the economy was starting to tank, foreign powers were looming on the horizon, moral madness in society, and God's people were selling out to the pagans around them. You might say that sounds fairly similar to what we're seeing now, increasing violence, tumbling economy. Foreign powers, moral madness, Christians rejecting the fundamentals of what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. Habakkuk has a lot for us because while times have changed, uh, nothing really has changed. This world is still the same a violent place that Habakkuk lived in. And so, as we look at these opening verses of Habakkuk's prophecy together, our theme is troubled faith, crying out to God. For those who like to take points, we have two points and look at Habakkuk's troubling circumstances, and then secondly, Habakkuk's response to the troubling circumstances. So first, Habakkuk's troubling circumstances. Now we really don't know all of that much about the prophet Habakkuk. You could probably tell me as much as I can tell you about who he was. We're not given any biographical information. We sometimes skip over like the very start of a book, um, and then we just like, want to get into the meaty section. Uh, but the start of a book is really important, and the start of Habakkuk's book in particular is really important, because it tells us the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. All we're told about Habakkuk is that he is a prophet. Everything else the Bible is silent about. We don't know if he was married. We don't know what food he liked to eat. We don't know his family line. We don't know what tribe he came from. We know, we know nothing. The Bible is silent. I just want to point that out to you. It's a silence that speaks volumes. It tells us that the person who stands up here each Sunday, the prophet, the one expounding God's word is, is not really that important at all. But what matters is that you hear the Word of God. doesn't matter about the guy who's up here. What matters is that the person is bringing God's Word. doesn't matter who Habakkuk is. There were a lot of prophets in Israel at the time when Habakkuk was prophesying, but a lot of them didn't bring God's Word. This is what set Habakkuk apart from the rest. You know, I can remember those days when I was sitting on the, on the chair not standing up the front and A Sunday morning and you jump up on church social like who's on the pulpit today it's like oh it's that guy it's got the Australian accent I can't understand him like ah funny funny story Um, I visited an old member of our congregation um, and she said to me Pastor Aidan like I love your preaching I said thank you she's like I don't understand a word you say but I love your accent Thank you. It's probably one of my favorite comments, actually. But, but the point is that ever as you gather each Sunday, it's not the person that's important, um, but it's the message that's important. And I think when you come to church each Sunday, you have to prepare yourself for that. You have to prepare yourself for God's Word to come to you, for God's Word to, to speak to you. For God to be coming and saying His word and bringing you something to bring into your life. Every Saturday I, I spend with my kids, and I was like to my to my oldest. Um, it's I was like, it's Saturday again. We get to hang out, and he's like, that's not really special. We get to do that every week. It's like thank you, um, but there's something about that's true. There, if something happens regularly, you lose sight of what's so special about it. And it's also on Sunday, we can lose sight about what is so special about coming to church. God is going to speak to you. God is going to speak into, into your lives with his word. But you have to be ready to receive that. You have to prepare your heart for that. Before, before church each Sunday, you have to be ready for God to speak and you have to be accepting of the message that comes. And so, it's an oracle that, that comes to the unknown prophet Habakkuk. Uh, we're told that it's an oracle that he receives. Uh, quite literally, the message that he receives is a, is a burden. That's what that word oracle means. This is a burden because Habakkuk had to bring a, a tough message to a tough people. Uh, Habakkuk, he was writing, he was prophesying in the reign of King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim was the one who was reigning Uh, We read from 2 Kings 23 together. There was a good king, King Josiah. He died. He thought it was a good idea to fight against Pharaoh. Not a good idea. Pharaoh killed him. Um, Then his son Jehoiakim, an evil king, reigned in his place. And Habakkuk is prophesying when this evil king, King Jehoiakim, is reigning. It's a time of internal corruption within Israel. we see this from our text. Verse 4, Habakkuk says, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The wicked are the wicked in Israel. They're not not people outside of Israel, foreign nations. They're going to come really soon, the Babylonians, but they're not at that point yet. The wicked are the rulers of Israel. And Habakkuk he says, I'm looking around and the judges are saying that the guy who oppresses someone is in the right and the poor guy who gets his stuff stolen from him is in the wrong. In the heart of his cry, actually comes in verse 4 when he says the law is paralyzed. Kids, maybe you know a little bit about King Josiah and what King Josiah did. Uh, you may know that King Josiah was a king who found something. He found the book of God's law in the temple. The law of God, the Torah, it had been missing for generations. And this good King Josiah, he found the law, and he changed Israelite life and Israelite society entirely to, to match that law. But now his son is reigning. And Habakkuk, who was a kid, at the time of Josiah's uh, reforms and the transformation that happened to society, Habakkuk—he's now an adult—and he says, "The law, the word there is the Torah. The law is paralyzed. We've got the law. It's not lost anymore. We've got it. But it's not doing us any good as a people. It's locked away in a cupboard somewhere. It's doing nothing. And he is just just cut to his heart." because Habakkuk had grown up in a prosperous Israel. He'd grown up in a safe Israel. He'd grown up in an Israel where things made sense, but now he was an adult. There was a new king on the throne, and everything was falling apart, and he cries out, why? He says, God, now all I see is violence and injustice. Why is it that you allow this? We read in Jeremiah a little bit of what Habakkuk was seeing a little bit of this wickedness and this perversion of justice. Jehoiakim had started a, a massive building project. He decided that he'd build himself a temple. Sorry, not a temple, he'd build himself a, a palace. Ah, it's reminded of his palace as I was driving down here, actually, and you see all these massive buildings that people are building. Uh, Usually they're attached to blueberry farms or something like that, but Jehoiakim didn't have no farm. He had nothing. Um, Couldn't pay for his building, so he got the poor people in Israel to build it for him. We read in Jeremiah, that he made his neighbor do it for nothing, that he didn't give the poor his wages, that he shed innocent blood, that he practiced oppression and violence. And all of this makes Habakkuk cry out to God. The things just don't make sense anymore. They had been making sense. God's law had been found. God's law had been used in Judah. It was used to rule God's people, but now life has taken this unexpected turn, and all of it is violence, and all of it is brokenness. But the worst thing, I think, for Habakkuk is that this doesn't line up with what he knows about God and about who God is. You can just imagine him being a, a kid. Uh, he didn't have catechism in those days, but kids still learn about God. And he learned from his parents how God was a God of justice, how God was a God of peace, how God listened to the poor when they, when they cried out to him. And now that he's an adult, all he sees is violence, all he sees is iniquity, All he sees is destruction, strife, contention, wickedness, and perversion. He brings in so many words in just four verses to describe what's in front of him. It's like he uses every single word in his vocabulary just to say, God, why? And perhaps you're in a similar place to Habakkuk. Perhaps you are troubled. Perhaps there is a time when life made sense. Perhaps it feels like an awful long time ago now. But now all you ask is why. Why would you allow this to happen to my mom or to my dad? Why would you place this on my path? Why would you allow society to go in this way? Perhaps you also are at a point of of troubled faith. Because that is where Habakkuk's at. He's at a point of troubled The beautiful thing about this little prophecy of Habakkuk, and it's a very short little prophecy. It's just three chapters long, a few chapters. The beautiful thing is, is the ending of the book. And you know the ending of the book, even if you don't realize that you do, because it ends in some very famous lines where Habakkuk says, Though fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no fruit, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is someone who, in these three chapters, goes from a point of troubled faith to rejoicing faith. He comes to a point of trouble to a point of a trusting God. And I think we need someone to help us in our own life to, to take that journey. And through the book, there's just one secret that Habakkuk has, and his secret going from uh, troubled faith to trusting faith, from restless faith to rejoicing faith, is that he reverently and he persistently brings his questions before the throne of God. He does this repeatedly through the book, and he does this right at the very beginning of the book. You see verse 2, he says, "O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? He's been crying out to God for a long time and he doesn't give up. He keeps on bringing his troubles before the throne of God. He listens to the answers that God brings and he submits his life to them. That's Habakkuk's secret. I think we need this reminder. Maybe a simple reminder, but it's an important reminder in your troubling circumstances, bring your troubles before God. There are some of you who are going through hard times right now, but the way that you address them is to go out with a friend for a coffee and, and cry over a latte, perhaps, or sit with some friends around a campfire and have a beer and talk about how Nothing really makes sense in this life and you don't really believe in the, in the God that your parents have taught you about. But we talk with each other and forget to take our troubles to the throne of God. We are an unsettled people. My question for you is, are you a praying person? Because when we pray regularly and persistently, And when we dig into God's word for his answers, it's then that we come to a point of peace. And see, why is it important to pray? I think it's important for us to pray like Habakkuk prays because our problem is very similar to Habakkuk's problem. And our key problem is that we don't see things right. Right? A key problem is that we've got the wrong perspective. We can be so focused on what we see right here and now that we forget to look at things from God's perspective. That we have the problem, the the big thing in our life, and we, and we pick that up and we look at it from every single angle that we possibly can to see if it doesn't make sense if I look at it from this way. And you're like, no, what about, what about this angle? No, it, and, and it just doesn't make sense to us. And so... And so we say, well, it doesn't make sense at all. We forget to look at it from God's perspective. It's a bit like one of those, those fancy cameras that some of you have. I got an iPhone and that, and that does the job for me. But some of you have those cameras where you like, can change the focus on the lens. Um, and like you can just like, zoom in on a flower or something and it looks really cool. And everything in the background's blurry. We're a little bit like, like we've got one of those cameras and we're just like focused on what's in the foreground and everything else is blurry in the background when really we should just be shifting that focus so that we see what's in the background. We don't focus right on what's here, but we see in the background God's glory and God's plan and, and all of his goodness. You see, that was Habakkuk's a problem that, that God addresses in this passage Habakkuk cries out to God in verse 3. It's a pretty bold statement to bring to the living God. Why do you idly look at wrong? God, why are you sitting there and seeing everything that's going wrong in Judah right now and just twiddling your thumbs? Why are you idly looking at wrong? God's like, Habakkuk, you're sort of like zoomed in on the flower right here, right now. You've got to change your focus. Because he says, verse 5, we didn't read it. Very next, the very next verse, the beginning of God's answer to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. God says, my dear Habakkuk, the problem is that you need a perspective corrective. I am working, but you're the one who, who can't see everything that I am doing. I am at work, but my work is uh, so much greater than you could imagine. It's so, so much bigger, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. It involves the nations of the world. It involves even nations that don't submit to me. I think for us as well, we can look at the violence, the injustice, the pain in our life, Maybe we can ask that very same bold question to God, maybe not out loud, but in our hearts. Why do you idly look at wrong? You know, the beautiful thing as God's New Testament people is that we know that God doesn't idly look at wrong. We know it because God has done a work in our days that we would not believe if we had not been told. And the work that God has done is entering into this world with its pain, with its injustice, and with its violence. And he's taken all of that upon himself. That God has sent his son, Jesus, into this world so that we can be brought back into relationship with him. So that this world, with its, with its pain and suffering, which, which is a part of this world, isn't everything that we experience, but we also experience that that deep peace in our heart of knowing that it is well with our soul because we are in relationship with God. And this world isn't all that we look forward to, but we look forward to the world to come when we are with God in in eternity, forever in bliss. As we cry out to God, why? We can be sure that He hears us. We can be sure that He cares for us because there has been one of his children who has cried out that cry and he didn't listen and he didn't answer. And only one. And that child was his son Jesus Christ as he he hung on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father turned his face away. Why? So that we might never more be forsaken by him. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like a sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why is it well with our soul? Because Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And prayer is so important for us because prayer is when we when we shift that lens and when we change that focus. That's what happens in prayer. In prayer, we come before the throne of the living God and we take our problems before him and we say, God, I can't fix this. We take our shattered pieces of our lives and we say, God, I, I can't fit this back together. We take all of our questions before God and we say, God, I can't answer this. We take all of the, the tangles and the knots and we say, God, I just can't untangle this. And we leave it in his workshop for him to get at work on And we say, you, you deal with it because you are that God. You are the one who cares for you. You are the one who loves me. You are the one who is working all things for my good. And so I trust in you. One final thought this afternoon. Maybe you're here and you're not someone who trusts in God. You look out at this world of violence, this world of pain. And you ask that question, why? And the answer you come to has nothing to do with God or his love for us in Jesus Christ. You ask, how is it that God can allow all of this to happen? The answer could very well be you. The answer that God could be allowing this world to continue in the way that it's going now, it could be for you. you now, The Christian church has cried out for over 2,000 years, Jesus, come back quickly. Jesus, why are you taking so long? And the Holy Spirit's answer to the church is, please have patience. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, God works at the pace of grace. And maybe his patience is just for you to come to him, and to be saved. Amen.